0: hello everybody and welcome to the mike o'brien show i am mike o'brien i'm in boston massachusetts my friend jeff taylor is in celebration florida and to celebrate living in celebration he has in his background i think 75 hats
1: 75 is probably cutting it a little short buddy
0: you have a lot you got scally caps, you, you look around you you wear those and you look like you're about to collect for a bookie or something like that. Uh and then you have just random hats. Where did hey, I have a lot hey, of hats? As you well, know,
1: but. I uh, I put on my scally cap, I put on my leather coat and I go out and you know, I collect uh, loans. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, That's my job. Yeah,
0: absolutely. To- We're continuing what Dan Bulger did last week of um referencing the video that no one can
1: see. Oh. <laughs> well Hey I mean, well, if you guys wondered, I have a lot of hats. Most of Jeff, them are Jeff
0: is, Washington Jeff is the Nationals,
1: studio. Washington Capitals. I have a, a lot Lake Washington. Burton, Georgia cap.
0: I, I am in my 2020 um, John Madden football game that I still play. I just tied with I, I am the Washington Redskins and Dwayne Haskins. Rest in peace is my quarterback is a, is a rookie year. Um, I just tied. I was very upset very upset i i haven't really had a lot to to do as you guys can can see i'm uh i don't really have much to talk about because i didn't really do a lot last week i was sick i was sick but it was like that sick where you could still do stuff sick it wasn't like it was more just like this is a pain in the ass sick like you still have to do everything because you're not like bedridden sick
1: but well, I caught it. I've been sick for the last couple of days. I don't know if you can hear it in my voice or not, but uh, I was hacking up lungers. I had congestion all through my eyes and my nose and my ears. And my ears was the bothersome thing because <clears throat> I like to ears hear things. screw you up. Yeah, I like to hear things, and I also like to not spin. I got vertigo a couple of times because I was so clogged up. I did the thing where you squeeze your nose.
2: I don't think you should do that. Push
1: the that air out. That it messes me, you up even more. It gave me vertigo a couple of times. Yeah i didn't it, learn my it, lesson when,
0: when people say like oh squeeze your nose and blow and your ears will pop it makes it even more bubbly it's for when you're more, scuba diving it's not for when I you're sick that's crazy it, it, um, it does
1: release the pressure when you're scuba diving but that's unnatural pressure the the pressure when you're sick i think is more natural pressure
0: i think everyone i know in the past month uh, has have had has had covid and uh, there's just like no mention of it in the news but I also don't watch the news anymore I get my news from my Instagram models, so I don't really know if they are reporting it well but, I'll yeah, tell you this much I've when they make the past, when, like, month.
1: when they make a flu in a in a Chinese uh laboratory that's hey, hey, funded hey, hey, by by, Asia. by it was China funded oh. by uh Boston Massachusetts uh lab that had 80% kill rate with their covid I mean, everybody's going to get it, dude. We're just lucky that 80% of people didn't die.
0: Um, the views expressed by Jeff Taylor do not necessarily. No, I'm just kidding. You know, where I live is uh, right next to Long Wharf, the Marriott Long Wharf, where it supposedly kicked off in America because there was this big. Is that where the laboratory Marriott is? Longworth. Well, I mean, it's in Cambridge or something. There's yeah. some, yeah. But, uh, and then everyone, someone had it there, and then everyone had it. A guy I worked with at the jail, uh, Joe joe was like he had a number he was like patient number because he was working security at that conference and he was like patient number 113 of covid in america wow i might even been singled he might Did have they been. they give you like a bib
1: on, like of... you wear when you're running uh marathons yeah i don't know, a I don't know. On?
0: yeah he was yeah he was he was like and he was they yeah they they uh he had to keep giving blood or something like that. I haven't talked to him in a while. I'll have to go talk I to him. I hope they used his blood
1: to, to uh, make my monoclonal antibodies that I took when I Hopefully. had COVID. They worked. That dude had some strong monoclonal antibodies. <clears throat> I never, Mike is I sipping never a, took anything. Mike is sipping a tall boy Bud Light in a can while we're doing this shit. That's my
0: monoclonal antibodies. Yeah. Yeah. But my it's Bud Lights. I walked around classy. all day today. I dropped my golf balls that I always, I always play with golf balls as I'm doing this. I walked around 20,018 steps today. I walked all over. Oh, wait. I'm sorry. 139, 20,139 steps I had today. Very That's proud of myself. My body is just like, I, I've been talking about this now. I'm 41 years old and I'm slowly like, you don't think you're old. You never think you're old. Young people who are listening to this uh, in our, our friends in Taiwan. Um, let's get those numbers up. In, in Taiwan, so it would be the number one uh, sports radio show in Taiwan. But um, just I, I walked all over. I met my lady friend at the Prudential where she works, and I just sat down. And, you know, Jeff, you're 97 years old. When I just turned
1: like, 98, but thanks. When you
0: just – sorry, you don't look a day over 102. Um, but when you walk all over the place and then you just, like, sit down and then you're like, well, this is where I am now. Like my whole body was just like seized up, and my knees killed, and I was just my whole body sore now. Well, you need I'm better old, shoes, buddy. Awful. If you get
1: some orthopedics, that won't happen. I wear orthopedic hey, I, shoes. I got my old man New Balances. I'm good.
0: Actually, no. T- today I was wearing my. Uh, I forgot what they are. A six or something like that. You I got know. I got old man walking shoes. I got wide flat feet, mm-hmm. and so that just destroys me.
1: Yeah, the uh, I wear New Balance sneakers to avoid a narrow path.
0: Ah, uh, there you go. New balance the the headquarters in uh Boston, Massachusetts. Nobody cares. Lots of lots of sneakers, Reebok, Puma. It doesn't matter. Well, okay, fine. I'm just trying to give you some Boston facts about this wonderful city that I live in. That uh, I love walking around. Like you have a wonderful neighborhood, Jeff Jeff's neighborhood in Celebration, Florida looks like it's like the neighborhood from Desperate Housewives, like it's yeah, just but it's so... one hundred and
1: seventy five thousand degrees outside every day, so you don't necessarily walk around. They people were walking around lately though, because I think it was colder in celebration than it was in Boston this the last couple days.
0: Oh, was it? But it was you like I've walked around your neighborhood. You feel like you're walking. You know, when you walk in Boston, you just like are. It's just your walk. You don't even like. I didn't even realize I. Walked 20,000 steps until I looked at my phone today. And I was just really proud of myself.
1: I'm very proud of you too, Mike. You should do that every day and you'll be a healthy young boy.
0: I will do that. I will do that. Now, Jeff, also, as I, it doesn't really matter, but I think, but you're talking and then the word, the, the voice is coming out. Like I see your mouth moving and then the voice is coming out. Now you're just not talking at all. But yeah.
1: Well, it doesn't really matter. Nobody's watching it the matter. video, they're listening to the show.
0: So we can still hear your voice. So everything's fine.
1: Okay, that's fine. Yeah. All right.
0: Just We can edit it. Uh, you know, I say lots of dumb stuff and we have to edit it out sometimes, but that's neither here nor there. Jeff, what have you, what have you been up to the past week? I've been sick. I've been walking. I've been really uh, boring. What, well, what since I, to?
1: since I have a newfound appreciation of baseball, although my team was eliminated a long, long time ago. I've been watching a lot of baseball, which there has been a lot of baseball. The schedule is absolutely insane.
0: Wait, wait, wait. What's your team? The Philadelphia A's?
1: Yes, the Philadelphia A's.
0: Because they, they, they're not a team at either. No, it's hilarious before. what you said. The Montreal Expos? That's exactly
1: team? who it is. It's the Montreal Expos. Oh, became the, the Nationals. Washington Nationals. Yes. Who yeah, I think. The uh, no, they haven't. The, the Red Sox won it the next year, didn't they? They won the next year. Yeah. Yeah. So I was going to say year, they've, yeah. they've won a World Series since the Red Sox, but that's not true. Mm. Yankees, it's true. Um, <clears throat> yeah. I've been watching a lot of baseball, watching hockey. Hockey's back. Uh, if you hear clapping and celebrating in the background, that's my wife watching the Capitals right now. Who which, are they
0: playing tonight? The
1: Ottawa Senators, which. Uh,
0: Ottawa beat the Bruins 7 to 5. As I was walking around, the Bruins are playing tonight. I almost went, tickets are really cheap tonight. They're playing the Anaheim Mighty Ducks. And. Um, Everyone, I was surprised for for Bruins games. It you don't really see people. Bruins are the most diehard fans of all the Boston fans. I think hockey fans are mentally ill. It's the I best think. sport. It is the best sport, but they're like, so you care about it the most. Compares to my sport, yeah. They're like, why are we talking about the Super Bowl? The Bruins are playing the Islanders tonight. You know, like they're that type of fan. It's like the only thing they watch. But there were just Bruins. Uh, jerseys everywhere today, and I'm like, it's a Thursday, and they're playing Anaheim. And I have
1: a Bruins like, jersey, you know that, right? You've seen me in my you Bruins know. jersey. Who is it? Bobby Orr.
0: Bobby Orr, kid. Of course, got a Bobby. Orr I got to tie
1: up for... uh, the uh, vintage, authentic oh, sweater. Did you, yeah. Yes. Did you,
0: when you when you're in town for the NBA Finals, working, did you um get your picture taken in front of the Bobby Orr statue? Negative. Negative. That's negative. negative. No. So yeah, there's a lot of Bruins fans. And um I don't know, hockey, as you said, it's the best sport to watch. But I just can't I of the four sports, it's to I it's the one I have to be like I have a, a life and I can't stop my life to watch this because I do that for the Celtics and the Patriots and not the Red Sox so much anymore. But yeah. So,
1: so you so like teams that are good?
0: I like I'm the Bruins are good, but I grew up a Whalers fan. I grew up a Whalers fan because I'm I'm from Northampton out in Western Mass, which is like 40 minutes outside of Hartford. And I grew up a Whalers fan, and they moved. And then I was just like, F hockey. I don't, you know, I I don't root for the Bruins. I don't not root for the Bruins. I don't hate the Bruins. I like the Bruins. I live in their neighborhood. They are all, I Pasternak goes to the Golden Goose all the time. I see him all the time. I saw Pasternak yesterday at the Golden Goose. Went for work for Boston Duck Tours. I dress like an idiot. I wear... I have a character and we all have characters, Boston doctors and mine. I've been to 359 colleges and never obtained a single college credit. So I was wearing a Washington uh, Huskies hooded purple sweatshirt with a Bo Jackson, Auburn orange Jersey over it with, um, with Michigan state pajama pants with the Spartans all over it, big Spartans. And I saw a passer and goes like, Hey man, what's going on? And he just looked at me and he goes, and just, like, the look on his face was sheer, like, what the F is
1: going on here? <laughs> he, he, thought, was just, like, he thought that he, he was missed just like, your short bust.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was just, <laughs> but I also, I just, like, act like I'm a normal dude. Like, I'm not, like, walking around, like, I'm dressed like an uh, an idiot here, you know? I'm just like, hey, man, what's going on? He's like, yeah, and he just walked away. <laughs> well,
1: like, I mean, if later, he was walking time. around in full regalia, huh? he'd look ridiculous, too. It's your uniform. Yeah.
0: Yeah, if he was walking around. You should around change out of it when it. you
1: leave work, just like he does.
0: Scott Zolak talks about on um, on the air all the time about how when he played for the Patriots, there was some guy who was a special teams guy that he would go to the mall and wear his Patriots game jersey as he walked around the mall, and everyone would make fun of him. And he goes, well, how would they know that I'm on the Patriots?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, the 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 little running back that you had for a couple of years there, uh they did a segment on the news where he was in some sports store selling. Oh, Danny sport. Woodhead! Yeah, and, and nobody yeah. knew who he was.
0: I drove Danny Woodhead when one of my forty-seven jobs I've had in my life. One day, one of these podcasts will just talk about my jobs it's, it's amazing all the jobs I've had. Um, but I was a, I was a livery driver. It was one of my favorite jobs. I loved the job, and I drove Danny Woodhead around. He was doing an autograph signing. You just said was livery. really cool livery, a livery. Service. Is it's that delivery. what that is? Yeah. L I V E R Y. What did I mean I pronounce words wrong all the time. Is that
1: limousines?
0: Yeah, town cars, limousines, vans, everything.
1: That's called livery. A chauffeur.
0: A chauffeur, you work for a livery service.
1: Did not know that.
0: You know, you learn something new every day. Look at the plates. Whenever you go when next time you go to the airport or something, look at the 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 black town cars. It's it has a livery plate. You need a special plate and it says livery on yeah, it. Yeah, but so it's does the truck that brings
1: theory. me chickens.
0: You bring you bring chickens. Is Wait, it what? just
1: something that is it just something that means that there are live? Wait, back up. Do you inside? have
0: a truck that brings you chickens?
1: Yeah, I eat a lot of chicken. I I don't like going and having it butchered by uh, a butcher. I just have the chickens dropped off here directly. I hack their heads off in my backyard, Gosh. and then I freeze them in a big freezer with the heads hacked off. And then when we want to have chicken, I bring one in. I defeather <laughs> it. I cook it up, and uh, so you.
0: I I I okay I, now Jeff we are we I'm calling BS Jeff Taylor now that you do not butcher your own chickens but you said it with the confidence of inbelievability that I did believe.
1: Well let's just act like I do butcher my own chickens and let's talk about uh, why old people are annoying you these days.
0: You choke your chicken wait a second let's get back to you choking your chicken. I never said
1: I choked them I cut their heads oh. directly off.
0: Before we get to the I have old a very
1: people, sharp knife.
0: Before we get to the old people saying about choking chickens i I, do you actually know how you
1: kill a chicken
0: um no you grab
1: it by the head and you like ring it you ring its neck you like switch like spin its body around while you're holding the head
0: oh really yeah and that kills what if you and then if you chop the head off then it runs around like a chicken they do it either way
1: if you if you ring its neck they will still run around with it like dangling off to the side
0: Interesting. I know
1: this because I kill my own chickens every two weeks.
0: I'm sure you do when the Jeff.
1: livery truck drops them off.
0: As we were I had this this article all picked out that I wanted to talk about today. Um a choking about choking chickens. This has something to do with a politician who got arrested outside of a outside of a um playground, outside of a preschool for masturbating, but it had nothing to do with the kid. He was just looking at porn on his phone and just choking his chicken. And when the police officer um I'm I'm googling it now. Arrested for masturbate. And when the police officer knocked on his um It
1: sounds like you know the story already. Just tell the story. I Don't do when the
0: when, the when the when the uh I'm just trying to get the facts right. When the when the officer knocked on his window, he looked up with his putt in his hand and said, oh, I messed up. <laughs> and the guy was like, yeah, yeah, you did. And they said in the report, the guy wrote in the police report that the guy was watching interracial porn, which is like, why did we have to get specific about what the guy was watching on his phone? And how did you, were you like, hey, man, what do you want? Like, what? <laughs>
1: No, the cop probably up, stood there for like thirty seconds watching yeah, the guy go. out. watching what? him? So let me ask you this question: You can't enter a school zone with a weapon. You yep. can't enter a school zone with drugs or alcohol. No. So I'm assuming that it is there. Probably is something in the books on the law that masturbating in a school zone is a crime, and it's more it more probably of a crime.
0: It's like a hate crime. It, of,
1: uh, it, it, it probably carries a felony charge. Yeah. Just because of the locale. Dude could have driven across the street, jerked off, gotten a misdemeanor.
0: He was a Republican candidate for an Arizona college governing board, which I don't even know. And this is on TMZ, which so imagine you're just some low level politician. You get arrested for (laughs) masturbating. I think it's a no level
1: politician, if it's what you just said. Yeah.
0: So you're a no name guy like you're already everyone in your hometown knows you as what's his name here as uh as as Randy Kaufman uh the local masturbating man already so you're 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 I thought that was the guy destroyed. that I
1: thought that was the guy that sang like the toy story song and no
0: who is that that's uh Randy Newman
1: Oh Randy my bad Newman. close enough
0: yeah 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 he's both named Randy I, I so Randy Kaufman he he's you know he so he's arrested for he's arrested for jerking off in front of a a a school what she probably didn't even realize he was in front of
1: the school well he, he should have i mean come on you got to really pay yeah. attention to your it's, first of all yes he did know that because so, trust me the first thing i do before i start masturbating is look all around me and make sure there are first no people second no, people. no cameras and third not a preschool
0: yeah you would think so you would think so no Under i would preschool. know so he knew where he was so Kaufman allegedly said – I actually don't even believe out. that it has
1: nothing to do with the children.
0: It probably does have everything
1: to do. It probably does.
0: Also, he's a Republican, and he's probably all about if he was – But so anyways, it, it's all over the national news, first of all, before I get into like what he said and just how – uh, the rant I want to go off on. This. Listen, there's no uh, one
1: party that has the majority of the pedophiles in it, dude.
0: You're so local. You're so local politician, nothing. And then you're on TMZ and in Rolling Stone. I just Googled it. It's in every national outlet. Could you imagine waking up and being like, well, this is going to finally blow over. And then like <clears throat> three days later, you're on TMZ and you're like, oh, Jesus Christ.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean... You do the crime, you got to pay the penalty. And the penalty in this case is uh you're famous. Reading. You're famous, buddy.
0: Yeah. He said he was stressed out and had to pull into the parking lot to relieve his tension. When the officer notes kids are playing nearby, Kaufman said he was only in the area to buy something. <laughs> he was cited for public sexual indecency instead of being arrested. He was also ordered not to trespass on the premises.
1: Dude, there are people that go to battle in war. That don't get stressed out enough to jerk off next to a preschool. Off this a preschool. guy expects us to believe that the Arizona college board guy has more stress than that, where he has to pull off to the side of the road and be I it.
0: just love politicians. Any I'm not I don't care about political parties at all or what you think. But anyone who tells anyone who's big time political, you have to live your life like this, you can't be gay, you can't do this, or you can be gay, or you can't look in do their this, closet. You know, They're the ones, they're the ones, anyone who says the phrase, my family is the most important thing in my life. No shit. That means you're jerking off outside of preschools. If you have, are you working on a
1: bit here? Because this is the second time you've given this rant on this show. Have
0: I? Okay. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> it's it's been my life motto. Whenever anyone is so like, my family means the world to me. My wife is most. He's the one who's banging. It's a pre- it's a
1: preemptive apology. They yeah, they want yeah. they want people to go back and say, ah, oh, this guy loves his family and his wife. They're literally setting you up to give them a modicum of of uh, uh, empathy. When they yeah. finally get busted for whatever it is they're doing on I the weekend. I just
0: had a lack, and I love my family. I just had a lapse in judgment when I was in the men's room bathroom <laughs> at the airport, and I asked the guy in the stall next to me to come in and give me a, a blowjob. Like, what the hell? Oh, I can't stand that crap. Can't stand that crap.
1: No, it's, uh, it's insane. I really uh, To get into politics, I feel like you mostly have to be broken. You're
0: insane. You're, you're insane. If you're, you're broken one in
1: problem. one way or another. You're either you have so much stuff in your closet that you've put yourself in a position where you no longer have any shame or you go in thinking you're going to change the world and then you get humbled and it drives you nuts.
0: Yeah. And no one's going to change the world because once you get into a position where you think you can, there's a hundred people, uh, you know, against you and you're unable to because. Even if, if you're president of the United States, you can't do anything. You literally can't do anything. You ever anything heard of the deep state,
1: do. Mike? No, I don't know <laughs> yeah. anything about the deep state. I don't know anything about yeah. anything anymore. Yeah.
0: I don't watch, after COVID and Trump, I don't even watch the news anymore. I can't.
1: Anymore. Well, listen, I'll give you a hint. Uh, go on, uh, oh man, I can't remember what it's called. I think it's gone anyway. The place where everybody was, it was like Reddit, but uh, oh, go on 4chan and in the search four chain, four chain. Yeah. in in the search search q anon that's q a n o n and search and it'll have all the answers for you I'm everything sure on there is absolutely a fact the funny thing is that i don't know i've seen the documentary i've seen all of the stuff but i want to say that the they probably have the same success rate as nostradamus
0: uh, of what? Cunon? Of being right. Because uh, I think that, I, think that
1: the, I don't know for sure. I didn't follow it. But I'm pretty sure. Like I'm pretty sure that they were right about a few things. Just like Nostradamus. I mean, Nostradamus wrote like a thick book full of predictions and yeah. something like he, he people are like, well, he predicted Kennedy and he predicted Hitler. And it's like some leader will go crazy and slaughter the Jews. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if he read the Bible, he knew that already happened and was likely to happen again. That's not predicting Everything Hitler. Everything
0: happens again. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So what else other than, other than your- Dude, um, you keep amazing- asking me
1: what's going on with me. I'm going to go into my topics. I tried to bring you in yeah. on yours. Have you decided you don't want to talk about the old people bothering you? Or do you want to oh, wait until the next segment?
0: About, yeah. I don't know. We could talk about the old people. But yeah, old, pipe, old people bother me at the Duck Tours. It's, I love old people. I love people. I love my job. I, we have cruise ships, and it's all old people on the cruise ships. And old people, Jeff, you, you're in Florida. You deal with old people all the time. They just, I don't know, what age do we switch where we just think these things are just funny, and they're just not funny at all. Um, they're just not funny. Like things these guys say, I'll stand there with my stupid outfit of the Washington Huskies sweatshirt and the Michigan State and, oh who are you cheering for and, and like I'm just like just get on the duck man I'm gonna so, exp- you don't think I'm gonna explain this you don't think I'm gonna explain this like just oh what? And, and like they all they all have a comment and they'll say the same thing over and over again and I won't laugh at any of it because I refuse to and then and it's just like you know the the Oh, they'll look anyone in here. Like those comments. So the, what I want oh, you to do... drives me nuts.
1: I, I'm going to give you a, a homework assignment. Homework. And I would like you to do your homework before we do another show. And your homework assignment is to go back and watch a couple episodes of Mary Tyler Moore. And I want you to pay very close attention to the guy that works in the television studio with her. And that is what all of those people's comedy is based on. When I turn 90, hopefully. We're gonna be doing science. I'm gonna be stuff. no, I'm gonna be doing Eddie Murphy jokes, but mm. those won't be funny anymore. I mean, they're already not funny. Like I you can't talk about the guy on top of the cop car in San Francisco going yeah. You can't already can't make that joke anymore, yeah. or you're an old, crusty man. So the reality of it is, I think, is that that stuff is what was funny. We've slowly but surely gotten more and more demented in our humor. So we think that the jokes that were made in the 60s are stupid now.
0: Yeah, that's true. Cause I, I think when people, especially if not of this generation now, kids in their 20s, hear me and my friends speak to each other. It's all like Seinfeld ripping on each other, putting each other down. Yeah, Your fat jokes, your ugly jokes, stuff like kids that. Kids these days but don't that do was that. Because it was Seinfeld.
1: Yeah. Kids don't do all that these Seinfeld. days. Yeah. 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 They're, they're vicious and mean. It's not done for fun at all. They literally yeah. want you to be ostracized from society. It's Step the funniest in front thing. in a UPS it's like, truck and they're stop, like, good. Stop all bullying but beware because the bullied are no longer going to have somebody to keep them from trying to ostracize everyone in society it's the craziest thing i I watch i'm an old man now so my sense of humor is you know calling you fat but i watch this now with this like canceling i'm like canceling like you make one mistake and you're canceled that just doesn't seem like a life thing but anyway, I was, I was a great so what I what There's I
0: wanted exercise and I said you become an ostrich. Get it?
1: That was There's funny on Seinfeld.
0: Was it? I don't know if Seinfeld did. They that. did talk
1: about that. I remember it was uh Kramer was uh coming back from somewhere overseas, and he was talking about the fact that he wanted to bring back an ostrich, but I guess you can't bring back livery overseas, so he wasn't able to bring the ostrich back with him, but he was trying to figure out a way to buy one on the black market, but there wasn't a Livery delivery that could bring it to him.
0: It's livery. It's livery. Is it? It's livery. Livery.
1: Livery. It's tomato. Livery. Tomato. Livery.
0: Listen, dude. Service, speaking.
1: Jeff. Speaking of people that want to ostracize people, Bob Costas was one of the play-by-play announcers for the Major League Baseball playoffs, and I don't know if you've seen voice. this. I don't know if you've seen this or not. I can't imagine that's true. Most people think I'm a condescending prick. Um, But people were outraged at Bob Costas for, I saw he was talking too much. I saw he sucked. And before I go into this, I want to let you know, Mike, you probably already know this, but I have a personal affinity for Bob Costas because he was very kind to me back when we worked with Bob France. Bob Costas did me a very good service and I appreciate it. The guy went above and beyond and was a complete and utter classy gentleman. So I like Bob Costas. Sue he, me. Wait,
0: did he, he quoted Bob France? Like Bob I was, I was in the studio. Let me tell the code. story. No, it's yeah. been
1: a long time since I told this. So if you heard it, it's been a while. I was in the studio messing around. Like the, the you had to put the commercials in. So on as we had a computer, and I'm listening to Monday Night Football on the radio and Jim Gray at the time, and maybe still now I don't listen to it on the radio I- anymore, but Jim Gray did a segment during halftime where he would interview somebody about something that was going on. And at this time, I think it Terrell Owens had stood on the Cowboys star in the week before, and it was a big controversy. And it may have actually happened s- that Sunday. And that might
0: have been the the, uh, the Sharpie incident, too, where he took the Sharpie out. That was around
1: that time. Regardless, it was a San Francisco 49ers player. And uh, he was interviewing Bob Costas, and Bob Costas said he asked Bob Costas what he thought about this. And Bob Costas said, listen, I didn't see it myself and I haven't had time to really get into it. But I did read an article in the San Francisco Chronicle by a guy named Bob France and his opinion made a lot of sense to me. So I'm just going to repeat his opinion. And then Bob Costas went on to say what Bob wrote in the San Francisco Chronicle. And so I heard this and immediately called Bob and said, I got to get him on the show. Can you believe this? And Bob's like, that's so awesome. Get him on the show. So I called a connection that I had out in Tampa who knew everyone. And he said, you have to call Bob Costas's, uh wife's barber. And I'm not kidding. This is the truth. Really? Yes. And she will hair get dresser. a hold of their hairdresser. Their hairdresser. Well, barbers. I have a barber, so I like to say barber. Um, <laughs> and then she'll reach out to the wife and the wife will get with Bob. That was this guy's avenue to Bob Costas. So I did so and expected nothing. And a few days went by and I'm hanging out with a couple of my buddies at uh, my buddy's apartment and my phone rang, my cell phone. And we're talking cell phones back in the day. This was in the early 2000s. It was probably like a flip open Nextel. My phone rings and I answer the phone and uh, on the other end of the phone, uh, uh, Jeff Taylor. Yes, this is Bob Costas. I got your number from so and so uh, and I would love to come on the Bob Franc show and discuss the Terrell Owens saga and so, this is
0: an amazing impression of Bob Costas by the way.
1: Well actually I mean I, I can't really do an impression of Bob Costas so if it is <laughs> But you're it so good at
0: you're so good at impersonations. We went over <laughs> I'm just, on Well I know. Of a
1: I show. know I'm great at them. But my Bob Costas um, I, Bob I feel
0: Costas. like Costas
1: Listen I'm Bob Costas and this is amazing. The Terrell Owens saga. So anyway, he books the interview and then we're doing we wanted him on the on the show at the ESPN Club at Disney's Boardwalk because we thought we would get a lot more uh it would be cooler if we had a big guest like Bob Costas so he he agreed to call in and he calls in and he said, "Hey, I have to take a flight. I'm in New York and I'm at LaGuardia and I have to get on a flight. It's snowing and the winds blowing like 800 miles an hour. I have to postpone. But I originally told you I would give you 5 minutes, but since I'm postponing, the next week I'll give you 10 minutes. And so we obviously agreed. We didn't want the guy to freeze to death. He was already standing outside of LaGuardia calling us to let us know that he couldn't do the interview. And so he comes on the next week and he gives us 10 minutes and it was a great interview. But anyway, because of that, I have an affinity for Bob Costas. But I saw all of this outcry about how Bob Costas is no good at play by play, which is absolutely ridiculous.
0: Yeah, especially baseball.
1: Bob Bob Costas is phenomenal at play-by-play. Is he getting a little long in the tooth? Maybe. I mean, the guy's not 25, but I watched those broadcasts. I heard nothing that bothered me. People were saying... I was
0: listening to the game, and you just... I was never... I'm also not listening, listening. It's just kind of on. Like I said, he has a calming voice. That's all you. I look for in announcers, is what is your voice like? And, and then if I'm actually listening to you, do you sound like a... I, I can't think of the, the play-by-play guy on ESPN uh, with Doris Burke. Play-by-play guy's awful. I hate him because when I listen to him, he I I, I don't like his voice. And then when he speaks, I, I I he's just an idiot. But Bob Bob Costas, yeah, calming voice. He's fine. He's
1: a professional and he's very yeah. good at his job. I think the problem with him is he's an old white man, and the the Twitter army has turned on him, and they're literally mad. That some young person, of probably uh, of, uh, not, uh, not Bob Costas, isn't doing that job. And they tore into him. So I'm here to defend Bob. I want to tell there everyone out there, Bob Costas is good at play-by-play. He, he can be like... Uh, who's the guy that did New Year's Eve until... Uh, he, Dick... Uh, Dick Clark. Dick Clark. The, Bob Costas can continue to do play-by-play until... He sounds like Dick Clark on his last New year's Eve party, and I will be perfect- perfectly satisfied because that guy has gone in and done the work and earned his position to do baseball play by play
0: and Jeff. Taylor, the leader of the Bob Costas Army.
1: I what well, if there is one? I'm joining, and I hope that he makes me a general. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the general, General Jeff Taylor, of the Bob, Bob Costas, Costas Army. army. It bothered me a...
1: though, because I really like. What is wrong with people these days? Why are they looking for things to bitch about? I mean, Bob oh, Costas that's, is are you, good are you at play by me? play. That's
0: all they do is look for p- stuff to bitch about. There's yeah. stuff that when people are like, "Oh, so and so's upset about the whole Kanye thing," which he's saying is ridiculous, but when people are like, "Flip." flipping out about what Kanye by you flipping out about what Kanye the the stupid shit that Kanye is saying is you're giving it cre- more like, press uh, cre- more press yeah well if, if listen just, Kanye West. Him, that's like what i say when the people lie in the street to protest whatever the, is their protest i say let them lay in the street and let them lay there as long as they want but when they get up and leave you record it and that's what you put on the news is when they get up and they're like all right we're done here and that's what you that's what you put on Con- Kanye them- West
1: Kanye West is like a ceiling fan it just goes and goes and goes and goes and goes and goes and goes. The guy's been going and going and going and going forever. And then it starts making a, like a little little squeak like every once in a while. And you're like, man, that's annoying. And then after a while, it's like, and you're like, oh, my God, that's that sounds terrible. Kanye West has been talking for too long. People have been telling him he's great for too long. And now he is saying things that are absolutely ridiculous. The guy's a very smart guy. I've listened to him. uh, I've listened to him talk before and he makes awesome points and he's got some great stances. He's got some ridiculous stances. But when you start spouting black Israelite and anti-Semitic stuff... You got to know. That's like jerking off next to a preschool. It's just that's not right. going to go over well.
0: <laughs> you got to know you're jerking off next
1: to a preschool. Yes, absolutely. Kanye, Way to bring it all around,
0: Jeff. Unbelievable. Speaking of that's...
1: people the getting canceled on the internet, did you see the Tom Brady thing?
0: Yeah. but hey, when he, The minute I read that quote, I saw it right when he said you it. You were like, like oh, that one's not going to hold <laughs> he, up. That's he, not. He, mess up. <laughs> you he messed up. You looked up at the up cop Tom. and said,
1: Tom messed up.
0: Tom Brady, for those of you who know, he's talking about his life and how his family life and, and how when he uh, plays football, he says it's like getting deployed. It's like leaving for deployment that he just leaves his family. It's like, no, you don't, Tom. You go back to your multimillion-dollar mansion where your kid who lives in New York, one of your kids who lives in New York, gets a private jet flown down whenever, they need, whenever you need to see him or you get a private jet to go up and see him. And, uh, no, you're not in freaking uh uh syria (laughs) doing whatever god horrific things that you have to do to stay alive uh you're playing football you're not getting deployed i understand that's one of those i understand understand what he was saying. saying yes i understand what he's saying that when you're playing football like that at that level you're just gone and you have to dad i need help with my homework it's like cool i'm doing homework Because I'm playing the freaking Saints this week, and I need to figure out what their zone defense looks like. So I have to watch this thing on my computer for 14 hours today because that's what I'm doing today. So why don't you go and learn your times tables and ask Giselle. All
1: right, let me jump back into my Bob Costas for a minute.
0: Oh, back to Bob. Yeah, the lieutenant. Now he's went from a... Shut up and let me do my Bob
1: Costas. (laughs) (laughs) One-two count. Taylor steps up to the mount. He delivers a curveball. Let me defend Tom Brady in a way that is unexpected. No. Leaving to go play a sport that's fun that you refuse to leave, even though your time is nearing the end and you say you're not going to retire. He's already playing way past the age. I think of any quarterback since Leather Helmets has ever played. And uh, he doesn't understand how the little people think anymore. I mean, the guy is a multimillionaire. He's married to arguably the most beautiful woman in the world. He seems to have Not a really anymore. good... He, he still is. He seems to have a really good huh. family life with his children. And everything just seems to be coming up basis for Tom Brady. So he doesn't understand what, how people are going to react to a comment like that. Because he's right. He is literally packing up and he's leaving his family and and he's not gonna see them. It's gonna be, you know, a phone call every once in a while. And it's not like these guys go to these towns and like just show up at one o'clock on Sunday and start playing football. That dude works 10, 12 hour days every day to be at the level he's at for the length of time that he's been at it. He does a lot of work. So I'm not taking away from him the understanding of he is leaving his family like someone who's been deployed. He's going into something that's a lot of work like someone who's in deployed, but nobody is going to kill him for the most part. And he's not out there doing it for anybody else but himself. And that's the difference. But ask these people that are making such a big deal out of the fact that Tom Brady said this, when is the last time that they've actually walked up to an actual person who has been deployed and showed any even close to the level of appreciation that a guy like Tom Brady gets? Because in our society, it, it troops are like twentieth in the list of things oh, that yeah, people yeah, care yeah. about. You literally yeah. like all. It's all. I'm not going to rip them off. I'm going to give them credit. It's always Sunny in Philadelphia. Charlie says. Who, does, who do people in America respect more than anybody else on the planet? And he's pointing at a Vietnam uniform. And Danny DeVito goes, rock stars, athletes, supermodels. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah but, but troops. Exactly. Yeah, that no, nobody seems to care about the troops until they can take someone down defending the troops.
0: Yeah, even if they, yeah, it, it's, I, well, The th- like you said, what people look for stuff to get offended for are on the internet now. Yeah, and like, Tom we Brady could say something, we could say something ridiculous with our 100 plus listeners, if we're lucky, on the Michael Bryan Show podcast. And I could say something ridiculously racist or anti Semitic. And then all of a sudden, TMZ is posting, Boston comedian Michael Bryan said da 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 da. And you're just, yeah, like, but why, I would hold you more accountable. You even,
1: Because you haven't been surrounded by people telling you that you're awesome. Like, listen, when it comes to Tom Brady, every Patriot fan for years and years and years wanted to bang him. And every... Still do. uh, Yeah. And every fan of every other team hated him, but secretly wanted to bang him. He's like the most uh, popular guy, even the people that hate him. Or deep down inside. Like, and they, but if they he was love him, on your him.
0: team, you would love him.
1: They love yeah. him even no. not on their team. I mean, the guy, yeah. he's beautiful. He seems to have very few skeletons in his closet. He's got a hot wife. He wins championships. He went into a team that really was, was a bottom feeder for a lot of years and made that a dynasty. I mean... The guy walks on. He. I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to get blasphemous. I've been bad enough. Yeah.
0: Then you, Then all of a sudden now uh, Jeff Taylor.
1: <laughs> call. Je- Jeff it's Taylor compares Tom, Tom Brady, Brady to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. <laughs> if John Lennon can say it, Jeff Taylor can say it. All right. That's well, what we need anyway. to start
0: doing. See, I'm trying to get big name guests so that are just. It's funny because when I worked for sports radio you just find numbers and if you get a hold of the person they just say yes now i'm sending out dms to these big name people trying to get them on and no one's responding but uh you have to be able to share
1: the podcast link and they have to see that it does them uh, any bit of good to come on the podcast and at this point we aren't we aren't offering anything to them we're asking a favor just wait though exactly write these people down whoever doesn't respond to you when we get huge you're not coming on Hmm. this show you're not promoting Absolutely. your book. You're not promoting no. whatever's going on. You're not coming yeah. on this show when we get huge. Market. When you ghost
0: me. Not even ghost me. You don't even respond in the first place. But what I'm saying, instead of getting these big name guests with big name, with big number followings on the Instagram and and the Twitter and things like that, we should just start saying some crazy racial and anti Semitic things. And then TMZ will be like, Can you believe what Jeff Taylor said on the Mike O'Brien show? And be like, Whoa, we're getting so much press. We should keep doing this. (laughs) Anyways, well, we have a wonderful show uh, today. We have uh, a a wonderful uh, friend of, of, of me in lifelong I've known him uh, my entire life grew up in Northampton together. Uh, Curry Hicks, uh, Curry Hicks sage on the Twitter. He he doesn't like using his real name because uh, he, he, he has a UMass following. We love UMass sports. Neither of us went to UMass, but we love UMass. He has a huge following and I want to talk to him about UMass, the new head coach for the basketball team, the football program, the hockey team, everything that's going on, but also these little, What we're kind of talking about, these little Twitter worlds of these uh, niche sports uh, teams and things like that. He has a a really big and and, uh, loyal following from UMass Twitter and a lot of other colleges and a lot of other weird teams do as well, too. And I'd love to talk to him about how that kind of took off. So we're going to have a wonderful show. Like I said, Curry Sage on the Twitter will be on uh, when we come back. And uh, thank you for listening. Like subscribe, tell your friends we need more people so we can get bigger name uh, people on the show. Uh, that would be wonderful. Maybe Bob Costas could come on sometime and then uh, Jeff could do his Bob Costas impression for him.
1: Stepping up to the plate. Michael. B <laughs>
0: That was so that was so Bob Costas, I could tell. All right, guys, we'll be right back.
1: I'm Bob Costas.
0: And we are back on the Mike O'Brien show with our guest this evening, Curry Hicks Sage. Go on Twitter. Follow him at Curry Hicks Sage. So a loyal following of UMass fans. And uh, I've known him uh, our whole lives, I, basically our whole lives. I've known him since you were like five or six at the YMCA, I would say, with, yeah. uh, with Coach, Dennis Jackson.
2: Coach Jackson's camp, you and your brother called me little guy. Little guy. That, that stuck for – I was the youngest kid in the camp. You yep. were probably like 12. I was probably like six. And then when I was like in seventh grade or whatever and you guys were seniors, you would just still call me little guy. And it just sort the of Fiker
0: fanatics. You're, you're an honorary member of the Fiker honorary member. I was not
2: Mike. I don't know if you've talked about that. Mike had the student fan group. He also did. I haven't have not. You did the um, Fiker was the old gym. It was an absolute. So we both, both the... went
0: to Northampton high school in Northampton mass. And the, and it was the end of my senior year was the last year of the high school before that we did it in the gym held. How many people do you think that gym held?
2: So they always said it could get like 850 900 in there. Would, yeah. No um way. the bleachers were pretty big but they were like falling apart and just riven with name name etchings. Everyone, everyone
0: would, would would if you went to school there especially the last like 10 years of it you carved your name into the bleachers. So everyone had their their bleachers and our basketball team was good and we would like we would chant "It's all over" during layup drills against certain teams and stuff like that. And like we would, that we were just we we made we made um, Congressman Neal's kid cry during a game. Like we were we, we were we, bad. Say, <laughs> we we were, didn't
2: vote. We didn't vote for Congressman. We Neal didn't vote for, for Congressman
0: Neal. And then during he 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 yelled over at us. He's like he's not even in your district. They're like and we didn't vote for him.
2: <laughs> he, yeah, I think through redistricting. He'd like bounce back and forth. He's like the typical like hack congressman who's just yeah, like, yeah 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 been around forever and like is a machine politician. His party is almost irrelevant. There's no ideology other than staying in power. But you guys were electric and they they got me. But the shirts you bought were all like double XL and whatever. And I was a seventh grader, like pretty scrawny. And so they somebody I don't remember who cut it. So I had like a belly shirt. (laughs) And I I was like young for looking at the time, even for a seventh grader. So I looked like a 10 year old and These like, it was like basically the, the Faker fanatics were primarily like football players, you know? So it was like the D it was like the D line in the off season. And then like me and, um, but they won two straight sectional titles. They were some of my favorite teams to root for ever. And, Great games.
0: It was a lot of fun. And just that atmosphere. And, and your name on Twitter, Curry Hicks Sage, is in honor of the Curry Hicks cage where UMass used to play. And that's what I was trying to emulate was the crowds at the old Curry Hicks cage for UMass games were unlike any other sporting event you've ever been. When UMass got good, I mean, I was there. My dad, Noons, Bruce Nimzik, um, uh, Mr. Crowther, there was like 10 of us that would go to games and we'd be the only ones there. No one was there. So you're talking like
2: 89, 90 basically.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And we would at halftime, we'd go up and ask guys for autographs. Like that's like, no one was there. Kids would do be there doing homework and no one was there. And then Cal came, Jim McCoy came, they got good. And then there's 1500 people in a place that held 1300
2: or something. no no, it like was that. like to be fair it, the place sat like 3900 and they'd pack 5000 in
0: easily 5000 we yeah. would we we had season tickets and we go sometimes and they're like you can't come in because we over and we're, we just got there late <laughs> and then we'd have to sneak in through like back doors and stuff to get in
2: <laughs> and you by the way for those listening who don't have any context this is not really hyperbole you can go and look up like last rage in the cage and calipari was such a marketing genius. He played the final game in the cage because they moved to the current facility in the winter of 93. And in the cage, the last game was like one of the early, like, 930 or even midnight ESPN2 games back in the day. And what he did was they played the final game against the Raging Raging Cajuns Cajuns. in the Curry Hicks cage. Like, the guy was, you know, and and that place was just – bedlam like I didn't
0: go to it I couldn't go to it my brother went to it because I didn't my dad
2: interesting things I was seven and I didn't really I don't know I don't remember like I remember going to women's games there and high school games there I don't remember seeing the men's team play there because it was a hard ticket to get by the time I was but the next year eight when they moved in the Mullen Center that's when I basically started and they were obviously electric for the next several years and then I never got over it and now I am where I am And I never even
0: went to UMass, but I just – I never went to UMass either, but I – I thought you you ended up transferring there. I never – no, I would be there every weekend. I went to (laughs) Keene State, and then I never – from Thursday, I would leave Keene on Thursday. I'd go to UMass, and I'd either – usually drink with my friend Greg or go to T's and drink with the football team. And I'd be there from Thursday till Monday. And just I never and I never actually failed out of Keene. I quit. I, I still yeah. he like, went to
1: Keene State for one year. He went to UMass for eight.
0: Yeah, basically. <laughs> and he's not a doctor. I, I went to UMass my whole college life. I was at UMass. Never took a class there. People would come up to me at parties and be like, hey, um you're in my history class and because i just look like generic white guy and uh i'm like
2: i don't i've and your never name taken is Michael class i mean yeah bro. my name is mike generic white guy five mike o'brien's enrolled at umass in every given year
0: no crap when i was at Keene, when i was at Keene, i got everyone's mail Michael Bryan's mail but mine i think we talked about this the last episode yeah i never got my mail but i'd get everyone else's Michael o'brien's mail
1: you didn't get your oranges
0: I didn't get my oranges, my, my uh, great aunt uncle sent me oranges and they were all moldy when I finally got them in March. Well, yeah, but we both never, and and everyone who loves UMass didn't go to UMass, which is the funniest
2: thing about, um, yeah, I mean like, yeah, that's not totally true, but there's a lot of truth in it. And the thing is like, you have to remember at that time, like just for the listening audience who doesn't, you know, um, maybe know all the context, like, UMass is, is actually a good flagship state university, but it is in a state with quite literally the most prestigious number, the, the largest number of prestigious colleges on the planet relative to like a two hour radius, right? You've got Harvard, MIT, BC, BU, Williams, Amherst, Wellesley, fucking Northeastern. I mean, there's just a million, like truly there's nowhere like that in the universe. And so as a result, Whereas if you're in North Carolina, you know, UNC, you know, at Chapel Hill or Wisconsin, Madison, Michigan, Ann Arbor, that's the only game in the fucking state, right? Like, and so everybody grows up wanting to go there. Like, yeah, you might have a kid who goes off to the Ivy League or something, but pretty much if you're, like, a good student, like, that's where you go. And UMass, because, it, and also it's in Western Mass, two hours from Boston, so, you know, the center of power in the state sort of always, like, looked, at, looked down on, on its own flagship. That's changed for what it's worth a tremendous amount. The last 15 years, really since the recession of like 08, I think now, and they built a big honors college and whatever. Now it's a lot more prestigious and frankly, probably less fun, but we don't need to get into that. Um, (laughs) But as a result, the the kids, even though I didn't go there and I spent so much time there in high school and growing growing up that I just wanted to get out of of there and go to school. Um, I won't actually say because people, I don't want people to figure out too much about me, but uh, I went to school in the Midwest. Actually, I went to school smaller school in the Northeast and I transferred to a medium-sized school in the Midwest. But the point is like for Western mass kids, you, know, you got to remember like this is nine, the mid nineties. There's the Red Sox sucked until they got good in 95, but they sucked for a while. The Celtics were down cause it was just post bird. The Patriots were just pre, pre getting good. And they, they, you know, they. They were pretty bad for a bit. They had that one year against the Packers. They were okay, but it was a rare lull in Boston sports. And we're two hours from Boston. There's nothing else going on. Period. So all of a sudden, in this, you know, they call it the sleepy west in the, of the state, or the woody wooded west of the – I forget. There's some... I've never heard that. I just heard Happy Valley is what they always the so, valley. Whatever. So so like all of a sudden, Calipari comes in. They were. You know, two years before he got there, or something. You know, they were like just awful, one of the worst teams in the country, and maybe not the worst teams country. They they were really bad. They were so not good. He flips it. You know, within three or four years, he's like twenty nine years old, just hair on fire, just like maniacally obsessed with getting good. And like we're kind of like holy. At least for me, it's like holy shit. Like this is awesome. And you know, there's amazing a lot of research that says. Between ages 8, 9, and 10 you are your formative fandom years. And that was the years. They were two seed, two seed, one seed. Bounced in the second round one year. I got upset by Joe Smith, Maryland team. And then, the- and then they went Elite Eight where they lost to Bryant Reeves. And then they went to the Final Four. So those are like the three formative years. And for me, I was just completely mesmerized and hooked and never got over it. Years later, I'm like on my regular Twitter account tweeting about the fucking Duquesne game and two teams that are like 14 and 16 battling it out for the nine seed in the A-10 tournament or whatever. And my friends are finally like, yo, dude, you're flooding my timeline with the most just asinine (laughs) information. You You care less. Like, why don't you just start like a separate account for this? So I was like, okay. So I start Curry Hicks Sage, and over the last seven, eight years, it's just kind of taken off and you know there's still a lot of people as it turns out who are kind of clo- who were kind of closeted UMass fans they just didn't have a venue for it anymore the local news scene has been decimated there's not really a lot of people who cover it you know and so but there's still a lot of people who you know they've had other little decent runs where they made the tournament in 14 or deep NIT runs in the late aughts and like there's enough people out there that still give a shit and so we just kind of we're like, fuck it, let's do it. And then it led to a podcast, and now we do these Twitter spaces shows, and there's a lot of just fun, you know, just a lot of fun, like, characters who we've got to inhabit. And, like, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Like, I... So that's that's the backstory of how Curry Hicks' age came to be.
0: It's a, it's amazing, too, when I follow you and I'll go on your spaces, which I didn't even know was a thing until you. It's so funny. Now these things, these spaces... I remember listening once, and, like, some kid from... India was listening and it was just like he was trolling us or whatever, but it was just like, how did this, how did you find this? You know? But at the same time, weird things pop up on my Twitter. Jeff, do you know about Twitter spaces?
1: No, I'm old. I don't use Twitter.
0: Oh, that's right. Jeff does. not use for Twitter. You. Yeah. Good for, good you. for you. So the Twitter spaces is basically like you can just start a live podcast and it's like you can, when you're a big name guy, like I, I'll listen, I was listening to Dan Greenberg's, um uh after the Celtics game you treat it like it's a real radio station where you request to talk and then he'll be like all right Jeff Taylor and then he pots you up and then you start talking with the guy it's like your own radio show and when you're huge you get like 500 to 1000 people I mean uh uh, a sage here will get well, how many? I mean, you. I've seen you so, with like almost two hundred people.
2: So like we the like on a normal random ass night because I never schedule them. I ne- once in a while I will, but mostly it's just like oh I feel I'm walking home from work and I got like I want to take a walk. It's like two miles and I'm just like I'll just fire one up right now. Those will get you know 140 people throughout the course of the night. You get like 50, 60, 80 at a time. But when we were doing when I realized the I guess like the power of the medium was we were doing basically i got i went sociopathic on on, and insane around the umass coaching search so i was basically just like "Fuck it we've got this umass twitter thing we can make a lot of noise we can basically create the perception that we're a far bigger force than we are and let's just get a good coach and just cyber bully our athletic director (laughs) and the power the powers that be at the school into fucking doubling the pay and getting somebody legit which is exactly what happened and I don't want to say it's all because of Twitter it's really not but you had to create the conditions and like the perception that it was there but what happened
0: you had to was, show the school that people actually cared
2: correct and what happened was more interestingly even than the the UMass fans was that you know there's very few opportunities for UMass to be like sort of like a extended topic of conversation in the sports world but Coaching searches are weird. I'm obsessed with them. I don't even watch that much sports anymore. I'm busy and shit. But there's something about a search to me that just combines everything I enjoy. It's like politics, you know, fucking power. It's like it's backstabbing. It's palace intrigue. It's fucking, you know, ambition, unbridled. It's it's just all of it. It's dramatic. It's like and there's a there's a pace to it. There's a timeline to it. So long story short. We basically become, and and remember, like, as much as everybody's like, oh, there's so much money in college sports and blah, blah, blah. The truth is, there's maybe a hundred jobs in America that pay more than a million bucks. And in a given year, what, 15 might open? So all of a sudden, and, and like, how many fucking dudes want to make a million bucks coaching basketball? You know, like, every one of them. So all of a sudden if you want to get your message out and you want to sort of be in the conversation, you know, you kind of have to go where the, where the people who are talking about it go. So I quickly realized, and like, I knew a lot of people from the basketball world through the show and other things, but very quickly realized like, Oh shit. Like all of a sudden, like, I'm not even going to tell you the names of people who were DMing me or like, or calling me or like, and often it was, you know, agents and, you know, ADs and and various people in the industry. So what happened was through that, a lot of college basketball, when it comes right down to it, is a very insular, small business. And I I don't give a fuck. Like, I don't want to be in that universe. So I can just be honest. And none of these people can because they're in the profession. So the amount of information I was getting about the landscape was just insane. Like everybody, it's the most gossipy industry on planet Earth. Because it's just a, everybody's trying to get a small number of jobs on a small number of staffs and it, and so as a result, during the search, you go on any given night and it'd be like, you just look at who's on it and it's like, you know the assistant coach at this school, the best the director of ops at this school. And so the whole not the whole, but it, we'd get 500, 600 people on some of these shows, and many of them, I would say the majority of them were not UMass fans. and then other people, Just like the coaching search drama from like random schools. So, I'm actually, this is an aside, but maybe breaking news here. I've been in contact with a couple people about possibly doing another show or some project about this, about another search next March that will not be UMass related, but just I just fucking loved the process of like search politics yeah and it's, it's fascinating
0: when, you, it's, when it's amazing
2: it's so incredible and i and i frankly will be able to share i think even more because with umass there's a lot of people i want to maintain ties with and now i've gotten to know frank martin who we ultimately hired and like there is some like i can't just shit post and shit talk so um and i actually think like the more obscure the school the more interesting the search in some ways because if you do syracuse or some shit like they got 30 guys who cover that team and know that, you know, know it inside out, but you do some like random mid major and just go completely deep on it. And I, I, for me, like, that's the kind of shit I would listen to. And so a couple of people are like, you should really do it again, run it back and like, you know, figure out who you're going to do. So that was like my favorite thing about spaces, because you could just automatically fire it up. You could get everybody in there in real time. Search is so condensed that we were doing this like in real time one night as like rumors were breaking about candidates and so I'd be like hitting people on text sources and be like okay like I'm hearing blank I'm nope this is not true this is this is bullshit like you know and it was it was super super interesting and like not going to lie just like the dopamine hit of that kind of like fast paced like real time craziness you you see I always kind of made fun of, like, the scoop guys, like the woges, and it's like, well, what's the difference? You, got, you get it two minutes later. But if it's a topic you really care about, like, having that information first, it does become, like, you know, you need a cocaine hit. You need a hit of that. Like, it's just – you just get so obsessed with it. I, I like, lost myself in it. I, could, I sort of couldn't believe how in, engaged I was getting.
1: Sage, this is an incredibly interesting topic to me. I'm not necessarily a social media guy, but I do understand the power of it. And what an interesting little niche thing that you found. But first, I want to point out that you're the exact opposite of me because you've, one, refused to name drop. I literally name dropped Bob Costas in the earlier segment of this show. And two, you didn't take credit for the fact that you Twitter bullied the ad into hiring the coach i would have taken credit and said it was because of me solely me and i definitely would have been name dropping everybody that was dming me
2: appreciate that and a lot of people will say that right and i i would i'd be lying if i said i don't i think that creating those conditions and kind of like making it a thing i do think contributed to the urgency of it for our athletic director but at the end of the day he's the one who's got to find the money in his Excel sheet and he's the one who's got to, you know, negotiate the contract. And so, and my whole thing is like, and I've said this very transparently on my show, it's like a lot of fans demand shit, want shit. And then when, when, or if they get it, they don't actually give credit to the people who made it happen. And my whole thing is like, the thing I love about the show and doing it is like, People are always like, "Oh, what are you getting out of it?" It's true. Like, and most people in media, you know, like there's a narcissistic element. You want to take some credit, and I'm I'm not beneath that. But the reason I like this show and I like this process is that for me, like Frank Martin hit me up recently because we sold out a section at a game at Harvard, a tiny gym, a lot like the Cage, which we love. And we I, I worked a thing where we got a few hundred tickets of the like 1,200 seats in the place on a pre-sale, and we sold it out. And he hit me up, and he was like. He's a great guy. He's like, so appreciate that. Like, is there anything I can do to, you know, help can, I, can we do t-shirts? Should we do a meetup before the game? Blah, blah, blah. And I straight up just told him, I was like, uh, just a W. And,
1: and the, <laughs> the
2: thing is like buddy Garrity from, um, Friday night lights. He had that great line where he did, I forget what he had done, but he he sort of got in trouble because his fandom took him too far. And he just turned to Eric and he was like, he's like, coach, I'm sorry. I just, he's like, he's like, you can't fake boosterism. It comes from the heart. And when you're animated just by like making a thing you've liked since you were a kid good again, there's a way in which, you can operate kind of purely and in no other realm of my life, be it work, marriage, parenting, fucking working out, anything I do, like it's not pure. I mean, you got to make compromises. You got to figure shit out. Like everything is like a little bit fraught because you got to pay the bills, right? You live in, you know, like, and so with this, when you're, when you're just going to try to make a relatively obscure college basketball team be good again, You can operate with like a clarity of purpose and vision as much as corny as that sounds like I realize I'm not like winning a Nobel Peace Prize over it, but you can operate with a clarity of vision where like, there's nothing UMass can like, you know, at this point, they're like, I pissed the AD off, it was the whole thing, whatever. But they, there's nothing they can give me materially other than wins, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No,
0: like, 100%.
2: They can't buy me off. They can't they can't give me access. I don't give a fuck. I live I live 3 hours from the campus anyway. I get season tickets. I go to like 3 games a year at home, you know, like just win and like that so like I think the yes, in most other realms I think we're all inclined to do that, but also I've come to learn like when you don't over the top seek credit that's when you can really get shit done. Like everything I've ever accomplished professionally or in any realm of life is like when I sort of just like do it for the pure thing of like making something better. And that's, I'm not like, it's not like I do that in many things. I'm I'm not, I'm, (laughs) I'm human, but this is one of those things where it's just like, yeah, like I don't care. I just want them to be good. So like you can't get me a t-shirt or what, like just fucking win dude, you know? Like, and it's, That's that's Um,
0: one of the things. Just growing up with UMass when they were good, and you remember when they were good and how great it was. I I always tell people when they're like, "Oh, what team do you want to?" If you could pick one team to win it all, what would be UMass basketball one hundred? Like, unless somehow if UMass football won the national championship, I would be because to me that's even more. Yeah, that's it. Would never happen. It would never happen in a billion years. So if that happened, I'd be like, holy shit. Like, that's the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my life. But UMass basketball, winning a national championship or just getting to the final, just being 25 wins a year. Consistently
2: relevant, you know, tournament appearances. Oh,
0: amazing. Just, um, I just, I love Whenever they play BU or Northeastern or Harvard, I go. I'll go to one or two games back home. I just love UMass. I've always loved UMass. I'll never not not love you mass. It's just such a it's such a weird, like you said, niche thing where the fact that you kind of caught on to it and it just kind of took off. I mean, it's not even and it's not even the the thing that I love about it is it's not even that huge. It's just such a loyal fan base. And now I'm seeing all these other little hashtag UConn Twitter, BC Twitter, Duquesne Twitter, you know, and all these other St. Bonaventure Twitter, like all these other schools where you're just like who cares about these schools? They're looking at you, saying, "Who cares about UMass basketball? How do you not care about Duquesne
1: basketball?" A, lot of, pe- a like- lot of people care. That's the thing. It may not be yeah. on the grand scale of things. You you may well, not get five million people, but if you're making five hundred to five thousand people happy, that's a pretty good day's work.
2: Well, and also, like, I think there's with with like the nationalization of college sports and kind of like the TV deals and all that. Like, there's this there's this like fatalism around it where it's like people act like there's like an inevitability to, to it as if like, Oh, like it's just the laws of physics that fucking UNC and Duke and all these people. But the truth is like, if you organize and you get people engaged, like UMass is a sleeping giant. I really believe that. And it it has been for a long time. And there's been moments where that giant sort of awakens. But the reality is like, People act like we're trying to get to Mars here. We're trying to get like a flagship state university at you know one of the more affluent states in the country to be consistently good at basketball. That's
0: not 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 to mention surrounded by prep schools where all these guys who leave these prep schools from New England go to Kentucky, UNC, Duke. They're right there. They're all they're all within three hours of UMass, and it's just it just takes one to get someone give them money, and now that it's legal to give them money. So somehow we figure out ways to get them money. And, you know, I mean, my favorite thing of all time is how much everyone says, why do you hate BC and why do you hate UConn? I said, because they refused to play UMass. And UConn refused to play UMass for so long because of Marcus Canby went to UMass and they're upset that UMass basically gave them more money than they would. And it's just okay. like, it was the most outrageous thing ever.
2: But, but like beyond, beyond like the outrages of the past, the thing that has like, I've come to realize as I've gotten a little older is like a lot of the reason why UMass hasn't been good and in, in other places is because of like a learned helplessness from those who do care where they're just like, so, you know, they'll just be like, well, the state doesn't fund us. And there's a lot of like, like just kind of like, you know, and every fan base has their thing where it's like, they, they've sort of just accepted their fate as if it's like, you know, an inevitability. And my thing is, and we started doing this, like literally you started doing this on Twitter. We would hit up like people running for lieutenant governor, half jokingly, but like kind of seriously and be like, hey, what's your position on uh, UMass basketball and funding it? Now, I'm not saying that that's gonna lead to a, right? But the point is like, a lot of times people think that these things like a lieutenant governor candidate are like presidential candidates. No, they're not. They're people with basically the same number of followers I have who are desperately looking for any sort of engagement to appease voters so they can like, right? And so Did you say that, not, but
0: didn't Maura Healy just go to UMass women's basketball practice, practice?
2: And like we were, Charlie Baker, the governor showed up after, after they hired Frank Martin as like we were now, how much of that is a function of us like getting it in his D de- and his mentions? Who knows?
1: The point is, whether I, it's I know with, it's all because of you. I'm going to teach this to you. I'm going to teach you. So, so,
2: so, so no, because the thing is, if it's all about me, then it becomes too easy for them to say, oh, let's go after him. You got to make it. You, that's part of it, right? Like there's a self-interest here too. I'm trying to diffuse the, you know, and, and create a whole universe so that they can't just cut the head and, and be done with it. Right. But the point is like most of these people, whether it's a Boston Globe reporter, whether it's like a, a big. Businessman who who likes the sport and might have a little dough to throw around whether it's a politician they're not fucking kardashian or trump or kanye or something right these are like small time yeah like they have a big perch they have some power but you demand all they want is to many times like is to just go unnoticed and not have to make hard decisions so you have to make them make you have to give them cover to make hard decisions right and that requires a little bit of organizing and a little bit of like message discipline and it took me a while to realize like oh like actually we can kind of push a little harder here we don't have to just accept our fate now it's still an uphill battle because culturally in new england i think there is you know it's a pro-centric region right but even that where people just say, oh, it could UMass could never be good. It's a pro-centric region. It's pro those things just become hardwired and people don't even think about like it's like, okay, yeah, it is prime, you know, historically, yes. But guess what? UConn's been great, UMass's been great, BC has been if you get it going, Providence made the Sweet 16, like, you just gotta fucking continue to make it a thing. And then what you gotta do is just, and I I'm a big believer in this, is like, I used to be like a little ironic about it. I'd be like, I'm a huge UMass fan. (laughs) Like, you know, sort of, haha. like, isn't that weird? Like, look at me. Then you get to a certain age, you got kids, you got busy life and you got only so much time. And you're like, well, here I am spending it on this niche college basketball team. I might as well go all in here, you know? And so once you just embed it into the culture a little and then other people do it because it becomes normalized. So no longer you sort of take it a little bit out of the realm of niche and you kind of make it like something that is a part of the culture. You throw up the, the team flag, you put the bumper sticker on your car, you rock the hat when you're traveling in an airport, you just tell people, you share the fucking game recap on Facebook. You do all these little things that just create like a sense of, oh, there's others like us out there. Right. And like, we don't have to be in the shadows here like this is a thing we can embrace we can own and have fun with and then like what's happened is because there's a bunch of us who are doing this and like there's just funny ass memes and funny like people are starting we're in a lonely fucking country especially during the pandemic everybody's fucking lonely and everybody just wants to be able to find people they can connect with around similar weird interests and you know, if you do that, you like all of a sudden you kind of like create your own little language and lingo. And in time, hopefully, you operationalize that. You, you know, we've got guys on UMass Twitter starting NIL collectives and we've got people like just doing little things that collectively, like the hope is, okay, this will be you know a controlled explosion here and we'll just like start winning basketball games. Like and- in a year,
0: in a year, I'm hoping to get a player from us all collect money, and then there's some gonna be some player on UMass who's gonna sponsor the Michael O'Brien show, and we give him whatever amount of money is, and how we give it to him is, oh, he's the spokesman for the Michael O'Brien show, and that's uh, we like could literally.
2: start. I mean, the it, guy who sponsors my podcast launched the the Mass Collective. I think it's the Massachusetts Collective today, and 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 that's like exactly the business model. In time, is like fans giving small donations monthly and then that money getting used to pay players. But because the rules are such that they have to do it under some official auspices, essentially something exactly like that. Like I'm, you know, such and such player and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, a, I'm a monthly guest
0: on the Michael Bryan show. show and or then some we give
2: like him, that. then we give him a thousand bucks, right? Like that's yeah, all yeah. it is. And like now, now that kid stays instead of transferring to Texas tech, like, it's not as hard as people want to make it right like yes you gotta like have some dough you gotta have some things going for you but it's you know i think there's this the powers that be want to kind of gatekeep and make it seem as if like us great is impossible and the reason for that a lot and these are sometimes people inside the university because fan fan demands make administrator lives harder it's just a rule of sports fandom if fans want shit and demand shit and are and are and are doing shit to get it and are really like not just shit posting but kind of productively shit posting and then it just makes it harder for the ad or the school president or chancellor or whatever to ignore them completely and so my whole like philosophy around umass fandom is like make them notice you you know and it's hard because at the end of the day, money talks and you still need, you know, numbers of people isn't going to be everything you need to get. I mean, you look at like T Boone Pickens or whatever at Oklahoma state. And it's like $170 million donation. Like, it's like, you can't compete with that. But the hope is like, sometimes big money follows small money. And I think like in time creating this as a thing. And also I think, look like to me, I don't know being being one of, you know, 10,000 rich guys who has season tickets to the Celtics is like okay, you're just another fucking sweater vest, you know, who goes to Celtics games. UMass is like its own thing and you can sort of like make it your own and the and the school you know, to some extent the people inside the athletic department and this is true of other A10 programs like appreciate or at least play into the quirky sensibilities of the fans who are making it a thing. And I think I find like that's fun, that give and take and like the sort of ability to help shape the narratives around the team. Like there's just something fun about sort of being, it's big enough that it still feels real, but small enough that you can kind of put your arms around it. And yeah.
0: Yeah. One, one thing I love most about it and just wrapping it up here um, is how we're Jeff and I were talking before at, at the opening segment, just about Tom Brady's thing saying oh it's like being deployed and then Twitter's all offended like are you really offended you know like people given given press to what the the ridiculous shit that Kanye says can you believe it Kanye's like do you really care what Kanye says about anything like why why are you giving this like this is just so it's like it's positive it's funny we're ripping on each other no it's not like people are looking for something to be offended by they're just like
1: Mike it's Bob Bob what? Costas here.
0: Oh, I yeah, think Bob he's Costas. changed
1: his name to Yee.
0: Ye oh, oh, did he? I'm sorry. Is it, ye. isn't yeah. it Yay? I don't I don't know. I don't know Yeah, it's Yeezy. What about, Kanye.
1: I'm not Bob Costas but, anymore. It's Yeezy, I think, and he shortened it to Yee. I, I don't know though. Yay, Yee. I, I thought,
2: thought it was yay. yay, but no, but Mike is right because like when you're actually trying in some way, it's the rare universe in which your shit posting is in service of building something. And yeah, that's a little like Pollyanna ish, like a little like romanticized version of it. But yeah, like you're actually like have concrete desires and demands about over this. It's not just like, what can I get angry at tonight to get my dopamine yeah. hit? And what did this retweets.
0: guy that I don't even know existed until this popped up on my Twitter feed? And now I have an opinion there's, about it. There's it's a massive,
1: so re- there's a massive difference because. You're not doing this to make, to bring someone down. You're doing this to bring someone, bring something up. And the reality of it is, is if, let's say, that it got big enough and there was enough push that they got rid of the athletic director. And so basically you were, it, you, it could be said that it was your fault that that athletic, athletic director was let go. Really, it's not. If that guy would have been doing what his job is, he would not have been let go and you would have been happy.
2: Well, and to be clear, like once he did his job and got us a really good hire, I was the first one on there to be like, thank you. Appreciate it. We're so great because I think you got to recognize people for taking those risks too. Right. And like, you can't just be a dick who like shitposts. It's like, it's just, you know, we actually have an agenda here. And like, obviously most of the agenda is just having fun riffing and, you know, building, but it's like, yeah, it's, you know, so much of like the algorithm now is like these, on these sites is set up in a way where it's just trying to get people to participate in whatever the topic of the moment is. So that the, the, you know, basically it just drives engagement and keeps you occupied. Whereas this is like, you got to find it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. You, if you want to, if you want to get involved in UMass basketball fandom, like you don't like, Like the casual person who comes across it, they're like, ah, what opinion am I even supposed to have on this? Right. There's no way to fake it. Right. And so it's like one of the last universes, I think, on the Internet. And this is true of many smaller fan communities where like it's a little bit like early message board culture to some extent, where it's just like hobbyists who are sharing a passion. And it's like your shitposting is in service of making your team better, ideally.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and I'm looking forward to the season. As much as I don't like Frank Martin, I'm excited about it. I'm excited that uh it's kind of a name and hopefully, you know, he uh he just stops screaming at kids' faces because that's all I really know of Frank that's Martin. That's what a good he's, coach does. He just screams at people. That's what a good coach but, does. But he does seem it's Florida funny. guy down there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But but it's funny how how you actually are now through this. I'm seeing that he's like a a real person and not just screaming at people all the time. So it's nice nice to see that he has a personality and he's funny and he is likable where I always thought he was unlikable, but well, and he's,
2: he's embracing it a little bit too, because look, he knows. And like, the truth is the biggest goal, I think of anyone on a niche fan community is to sort of make themselves irrelevant, right? Because if UMass gets really good, the role of the 400 people who shitpost all day becomes less of a thing because there's 40,000 new people who are watching every game. But right now, Frank understands that you have to relate to the people who are still here and giving a shit because, and I think he'll continue because like college basketball and college athletics in general, most places, you know, outside of the Bama's and whatever, like, you got to play to your base. It's not a casual man's game. You're not like just turning on a UMass game. Right. And so my whole thing is like, stop trying to get like marginal, you know, Boston fans, you know, to come out once a year and and sort of tune into UMass, like get the people who are inclined to really give a shit because when you get that, like you create kind of this unique love affair between fans and players and, and coaches. And it, and it's like, it's more of a community dynamic, which I think is all too lacking in the, in the pro ranks. I think, I, I think
0: they, they screwed it up the first time when they got good as they pushed those people away and brought yes. the Boston people in. And I'm hoping if they ever get good again, that they keep those people and they don't and like, force season ticket holders of 25 years to not have season tickets anymore because
1: they some won't. guy from Boston They'll do them. the same thing again. Yeah. No, they'll do the same
2: thing because money talks. But here's the thing. Getting back to that point, (laughs) like for season ticket holders to be pushed away and, and they were like kind of pushed up basically. And like, you know, Western Mass can be a curmudgeonly place where people like don't forget 30 years later. But look, if you, if to get to that point, you have to literally essentially be the number one team in the country for the better part of two full seasons and parts of a third, right? You have to be, and you have to have every Boston team suck And that was in an era where, like, you didn't have streaming, right? And so, look, like, if we got back to that and you had to lose your season tickets for, you know, a couple, like, for a year or get pushed up, like, I'm sorry, but I'll fucking take that (laughs) rather than, like, just, like, doing in mediocrity and sitting, you know, in slightly better seats. You know, like, fuck that. Like, sorry. But, you know, yeah. But, I mean, I'm with you. Like, don't drive them away. Give them an opportunity to, to, like, keep their seats or whatever. But at the same time, like, you know, there is this is a business. And as much as parts of it are grotesque, I'm willing to make those sacrifices a little bit if it means my team is going to fucking win. You know what I mean? Like at the end of the day, I can still talk shit on Twitter if I if my seats are 12 rows rows back. And like, I, I would rather that than than sit in a, you know, t- with twenty one hundred people in a ninety five hundred seat arena watching a team limp to another 14 and 16 finish and, you know, and, and, and playing LaSalle on senior day, like fuck that. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, well, just,
0: just win baby. That's what we want UMass to do. Sadly, the football team is not looking like it will, but uh hopefully um things turn around for both teams. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to this season. And uh, uh it was really great talking to you and follow Curry Hicks sage on uh, Twitter and, and, Follow UMass, support UMass. We both love UMass. I'm, I hope Jeff loves UMass too. Uh, by the end of this, I've only yeah, seen where one. Did you, did you go to school? Jeff, did you go to school in Florida? I did. Yeah, where he went to he went to to Florida Middle School and flunked <laughs> out.
1: <laughs> no, I went to a school in Daytona Beach, not a big one. Uh, Emory Riddle? No, no, no. I'm also not a. It's not even there anymore. It was basically a. It was the equivalent of the Connecticut School of Broadcasting.
2: Got
0: it. Got yeah. it. Jeff And now Jeff just plugs in um, wires so people in Spain can listen to the World Series and gets paid handsomely for it. It's pretty amazing. (laughs) I've made it my
1: own little niche.
0: Yeah, right? It's unbelievable. When I could have done it too, but I was just like, "Ah, I'm going to go back to Boston and park cars. See you later. Unbelievable.
1: I got to say this. You've known him for a long time. Has he always been a guy that didn't have confidence in himself or did he lose that somewhere along the way, Sage? I
2: have, you know, Mike for me is an interesting figure because I was young. Like most of our relationship, I was like 12 and he was like 18. So I just thought they were all like really cool. I didn't really make any of those distinctions. I would say self-effacing though is probably the default I've noticed. I mean, I tend to do similar. There is a new England way about people where it's like
0: self-deprecating. We're never
2: what we are. Who
1: was cooler though? Jack or Mike?
2: A Mike, definitely. Oh, no, really? No. That disappoints <laughs> me. I'm a, yeah, I'm a Jack fan. I'm a Jack fan. Jack, you know, Jack is another one, though. Like, I would say he's like Mike on steroids in terms of the self-effacing shit. Like, you know, he's always, like, mocking himself or whatever. And he's kind of funny. He's kind of got good takes. But he'll, like, purposefully – I sometimes think, like, on Twitter, sometimes think he'll, like, purposefully make himself – like, I, I mask my insecurities by trying to sound smarter um mike and jack i feel like mask bears by trying to sound dumber 100
0: <laughs> <laughs> percent. well it's and, working
2: and it's like you gotta a little bit fake it because like i mean you know like if you fake it and you use, you know like sometimes these people think i'm really smart because i have a big vocabulary don't confuse the two i couldn't like you know make a paper airplane like but at the same time, you gotta just max out what you got. Like I could always write and speak very well. And so it's like, I'll fucking max that out because you know, life is hard enough. So like lean into the whatever you have. You Sa- know?
1: Sage, what's your podcast called?
2: The UMass basketball podcast.
1: And what's your Twitter handle?
2: Curry, C U R R Y, Hicks, H I C K S Sage, S A G E.
1: All right, follow follow this guy and uh, get in on that. Making small donations to pay for UMass to win a national championship. Hell yeah!
0: The reality Hell of it I is bought.
1: that you could pay five dollars and and make a difference and watch that whole season and enjoy it from a different perspective than uh, you know the people that like, grew for Ohio it's State like and a Alabama. Stock. You'd be get. Like,
2: I bought that guy. That's amazing. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Get in on the ground floor. Pick a random team. It's fun. Yeah, it's great. Well,
0: thank you so much, all Gary right, your stage Thank Appreciate you so much, it. everyone, for listening to The Michael Bryan Show. Remember to like, subscribe, tell your friends, and uh, we love you all equally. Have a wonderful and glorious day and ta-ta for now.